Dree Greenlaw came up to you and asked you to sign the football for an interception. And you had done that with Brandon Eccles a year ago, and you said, I'm not signing any more mistakes. And yet this yet this young man was so excited. He said, you're the greatest ever. This is the biggest moment, in essence, of my life. And you signed the ball. Uh, tell us about that moment, what it was for you, what it was like for you, Tommy. It was for me, to be honest. It was complete <laughs> But I try to be a gentleman. No, it was actually, he's a, yeah, I mean, look. It was a great play he made. I'm happy he's got the ball. Um, I wish I didn't throw it, but I'm trying to be a good sport because a lot of times I'm not a good sport. I could be a pretty bad sport. And so in the moment when they get me in the right frame, I'm actually a good sport. So uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm trying to be a good sport. It's you look thing. good. You look you know. like you meant it. You look nice, yeah. Tom, when you were signing the ball. There were a lot of cameras on you too, pal. You kind of you, you were forced into that one. Thanks, babe. Appreciate it. By the way, that wasn't Jim Gray doing an Adam Sandler uh, impression. That was out of nowhere there. Part of the podcast. The let's let's go. He had Adam Sandler, Bill Burr, and Tracy Morgan on with him. I think for the entire podcast. Wow. The other night, but look, we we know how Tom Brady is, and I I think when it's a close game, a heartbreaking loss, he does something stupid like thinks it's third down when it's actually fourth down. Remember that one, that Thursday night game, and he ran off the field and didn't shake Nick Foles' hand. Like, he's got something about Nick Foles. Like, how can this guy, how how am I losing games to this guy? I think that's that's why he runs away from Nick Foles. But when you're, when you've, when your ass has been clearly kicked and you've had full time to process it, you're, you're less inclined to run away when the game is finally over, and I think that had something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, hopefully. And, and then, you know, I, I think between people getting on him for kind of running off the field and some tough losses and Hopefully at a spot in his career where he's like, you know, hey, I'm going to lose. I've won more, a lot more than I've lost. Uh, I'm, I'm still the king of the sport here, and yeah, that was cool to see. It, it is cool to see. It's he's a he legend. Went out, hey, he went out there. He went out there, and they all they all lined up to kiss the ring too. Yeah, no, he had all that I, adulation. Right. Oh, it's it's hey, the the sport is you know, it, it, players recognize greatness. You know, they want to be around it. And, uh, and even when you're playing against it, it's it's just like a guy like Tom Brady. Even the good players on the other side, yeah, they're on, they're in awe, and they want to go kiss the ring and say hi and give him his respect for everything he's done and how much they respected him, you know, as they were growing up watching him. So you know, those are the cool moments to see about football and seeing the defensive guys rally him around like that was was neat. That video is amazing. Can Nick Nick Foles is like the little kid looking around at the store, got separated from his parents. Like him, Brady. Brady's doing the Lamar Jackson. I got a poop run to the to the <laughs> to the locker room. That's pretty good. Great job by the controller. I had a feeling they had that one ready to go. But Nick Foles is like, okay, we're I'm out here to say hi to the quarterback. Where's the Where's the guy that I didn't see after I beat him in Gosh. the Super Bowl? Surely he's not doing this to me again. Is that number 12 yeah. running into the tunnel? Is yeah. that where he's It'll going? He's got a Peace. phone call that I don't know about. Where is he? Where's my mom? Where's my dad? It's, uh, dude, where's my car? Uh, so anyway, um, I, 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 also, I also joked about the idea that Tom Brady just wanted to hang out with his future teammates. Maybe that was part of it too. What do you mean? You know, you got to suck up to the 49ers players. Yeah, oh, you got to suck up right. to the 49ers players. You may be among them before too long. Yeah, just I, a I, few I, months away from what another retirement and an unretirement. But I, I just, I really don't think they're going to want him next year. I don't think they're well, going to want to add that element. Even right. though it sounded last week like your buddy Kyle was 
was dealing with a lot of regret, a lot of regret over passing on him in 2020. Because yeah. he thought he was doing this in 2019. He thought he was going downhill, and he found out along with everyone else that he wasn't. So I don't know how he resolves that regret. Maybe he's rooting for Brock Purdy to be so good that there's no question to be had as to whether or not you bring in Tom Brady. Well, I'm sure there is regret. You know, there are. I mean, you saw it. Uh, but, but the two, it was hard to pull the trigger. I mean, Shanahan wasn't the only person that saw the flaws of, of Brady. 2019 was, you know, it just, it wasn't pretty. He didn't make any plays. And again, he got to a team where it, it was perfect for him. It was perfect. It was the perfect setup. You know, the 49ers you know, probably could have had a similar setup. I don't know if it's necessarily Brady's style of play either, that way, but I'm sure there's regret. Just the what if factor, and man, if we had Tom Brady on the team last year, you know, would we have gotten over the hump against the Rams and beat them in the NFC Championship game? Uh, yeah, you'd, you'd like to think probably so. Yes, but you know, it, it's it it was a hard one at the time. You know, Shanahan wasn't the only person to look at 2019 Brady film in New England and go, "This ain't that good here." You know, uh, ooh, I don't know what to expect from him next year. And let's not forget, too, when he went to Tampa and started off early in the year, it wasn't that good. He was getting called out by the coach on about a weekly basis about he's got to hold the ball, he's got to throw the ball down the field. He kind of got backed into a corner with an all-star team around him and then started to really play like we thought Tom Brady could play. And uh, I think sometimes we, we forget about that little bit of that history there and you know, after the fact here, after they've won a Super Bowl and all that. Oh, yeah, seven and five at their bye week. I mean, it was struggles. They ran the right. table in the regular season, and then they, they had to go on the road and win and win and win, and they should have lost to the Saints, could have lost to the Packers, could have lost the Super Bowl, although uh, Patrick, if Patrick Mahomes had been healthy, I think it would have been a different game. I think Patrick Mahomes not being able to run away from the defensive line is what – they were supposed to lose the Super Bowl. The Chiefs were favored. Yeah, it, it is, it's crazy. Game. And the lose, they lost Patrick both Mahomes their tackles. Healthy, right? they wouldn't have won. Yeah, I, they, they, the, 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 the whammy, the curse hit the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Tackles getting hurt. I mean, then the Andy Reid situation with his son and the, the car crash. I mean, they had a lot of issues there in Kansas City, let alone Mahomes was nowhere near 100%. That, that's an underrated and overlooked factor. That happened, that crash happened Thursday night. They flew to Tampa on Friday for right. the Super Bowl. How does that not turn everything upside down yeah. for the coaching staff at least right. and for the head coach? Processing right. that while you're trying to get ready to play in the most important game of the year. All right. Uh, it, it was a very important game on Monday night for the Patriots to win and set themselves up for a potential playoff run along the way. It was rocky. We talked about it yesterday. Mac Jones with more of his outbursts during the game before morphing into Stepford Patriot mode in his post-game remarks. Here's Matt Patricia, the New England de facto offensive coordinator from yesterday, talking about his quarterback's propensity to have a potty mouth during games. <laughs> I mean, this is a super passionate game, right? We love this game. We put a lot into it. We work really hard. We care. We're trying to win. Um, so I love all that. You know, all of it is, is you know, you just, you care. You know, you really care. And uh, Mac and I are, you know, you know, I know he wants to win and he's doing everything he can, just like, you know, like we all are. And so that stuff's great. I mean, there's never, um, I don't really look at it from that standpoint. You know, I think everyone's out there trying to just do everything they can to win. 
Um, you know, I've coached some pretty awesome rooms before. I've been around some pretty great players throughout the years. And um, those guys had a tremendous passion for the game like Mac. And, um, you know, you love to see that stuff and you love to see it. And you always just try to make sure you direct it in, in the way that will help uh, everyone, you know, in those moments get better. And, and that's the biggest part of it uh, as a coach. But, um, you know, I've been through some pretty fiery guys now. Don't forget, you know, Teddy Bruschi, Junior Seau, Mike Brable, William McGinnis, like, you know, there's been some great players, uh, you know, and Max, one of those guys, he just loved the game. So I love that. Yeah, look, I, I, I think it's a good compliment of personality because Matt Patricia is not a guy who's going to be fiery. I don't know that two guys like that could really coexist. He understands it. The guy's young. He's emotional. You'd rather have that and try to rein it in than to have a guy who's sitting there, you know, half catatonic that, you you, you know, you, you got to shock him into – the right mindset to go out there and try to win a very emotional game that requires that level of, of want that, that, that level of passion. It's, it's harder to put it into a guy than it is to, to calm it down. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I mean, let's not forget it, this, the new England Patriots. Last time I checked the guy, we just talked about the quarterback they had before Mac Jones, Tom Brady. He wasn't exactly like the Zen master on the sidelines. Right. So they're used to a little, F you, F that, what the F are we doing on the sideline type of talk from their quarterback. And that's it's not uncommon. It's not. This seems a little more harsh or directed directly at the OC. And with Brady, okay, he might have been doing that, but you were like, well, there's they're a top five offense in football, and he's just mad they didn't go down on every drive of the game and score a touchdown. This is a little more than that, though. And that, that's where it's a little different. So you love that fire, no doubt. And Matt Patricia's saying all the right things. But, you know, Matt Patricia's in a tough situation. The whole situation's tough on him, too. You know, I don't know if he volunteered for this. But to be where he is is tough. And then what do you expect him to say here? They're not going to make this a story or let this be a story, right? They don't want to do that. That doesn't look on a, good on Patricia, Belichick, or anything. So they're going to tell you they love his fire and his passion and all that. But it does seem a little bit more than just yelling on the sideline because we're frustrated. It does seem like it boils closer over to, you know, to the, the personal side every now and then or a true frustration with just how things are going from Mac Jones. That's where I think it seems different than your normal outburst by a, a quarterback on the sideline. And and that, I think, ties into the fact that he was there last year for Josh McDaniels and got that high-level education right out of the gates as a rookie. And now he's, he's in this experimentation phase where you've got guys who were never offensive coaches becoming offensive coaches. And I think that's where the deep-seated frustration is, and that's what bubbles out in those moments. Right. Like, this is why I'm – I've been upset and disappointed with this approach from day one. And I think that's why it has a little more of an edge to it. Right. That's what Chris. it seems like. Yeah. It seems a little more personal. Yeah. It's not just blowing off steam. Right. It's like, man, why do I got to deal with this crap? Right. It, it, and then usually when you see quarterbacks blow off steam, like it, it's like they just yell at kind of everybody. What the F are we doing? We got to get our, you know, crap together. Right. That's kind of how it goes. We've seen a few this year where it's like, no, he's looking at one person and he's yelling at that person. And it is real frustration. And then, you know, just little, I think, little mannerisms, even like you see here. Right. He's looking. He's shaking his head. He's yelling. All right. There's the F word. Now 
he's in his ear here talking and obviously doesn't like it and he shoes him away here like yeah shut up like all right like he's he's had enough right so that that's where we don't see that a lot and that's where it is a little different than Dan Marino coming off the sideline just mad because he's like, wait, I, I should be 30 for 40 for 480, and I'm, I'm 29 for 37 for threes 95, and I'm pissed. Like, it's different than that. It, it, this, is, this is like, seems like weeks of boiling over and frustration and everything you talked about where, man, with McDaniel in my ear, it was smooth, and he was giving me clues, and the play was right out, and he had all these great thoughts, and you know, he probably feels like he's gone back, you know, from like I was in advanced, ge- you know, uh, uh, geometry and now I'm back in like fifth grade math a little bit. And that's where he's probably frustrated. All right. We are going to take a break. When we return, our weekly feature after further review, including a subject. And I'm not Whoa. saying this to be hyperbolic. Is that the word? I think it is. I'm not saying this to be clickbaity, although there's nothing to click. We're going to talk about a subject that no one is talking about for some strange reason, and we're going to delve into it and explain why it's happening and where it goes from here. We'll do that next on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Ten movement up front. False start. Offense. Everybody but the center. It's a five-yard penalty. Go down. Oh man, that's not fair. That's not fair. I, mean, I always love that when it happens. Yeah. I love that when it happens. It's better than calling out four different numbers, <laughs> right? Well, or just call Everybody out the center and go. You know, center. I actually think the center forgot the snap count. And everybody else was right. He forgot to snap the ball. <laughs> that's 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 the that's the best part of it. And you know, I was on a, a Tennessee Titans team, Mike. That like during a Wednesday practice, after the practice was over, Jeff Fisher, he would make the guys who got penalties during the game. You'd have to run a gasser, right? We'd be running gassers as a team, and then guys who got penalties. Uh, would would have to run a gasser, and there was a moment like that one of the years I was there where the the they called everybody on the offense except the center offside. So the everybody in the offense except the center who forgot the snap count, he didn't have to run, but we all had to run because it was everybody else but the center, and that was one of those funny moments there. I I always wonder what does it really work if you make a guy run a gasser like. He's not doing it on purpose. No. And and are you going to remember in that moment to stay extra focused? I mean, I know this just football coaches doing football coach things. All right, right. we're doing what we usually do on Wednesdays during the season where we look at some of the calls and non-calls from the week that was. But this really isn't an officiating call. It's a dynamic as it relates to the game, and it goes to the heart of the integrity of the game. And it's something the NFL is very concerned about. It was a big topic of discussion. I'm told in March at the league meetings, there were reminders provided to the teams during training camp. And as recently as Friday, December 2, a memo was sent to all teams pointing out yet again that any faking of injuries would result in significant punishment for the player, the team, the head coach, and where applicable, the position coach. And here's the idea. 
when you have a defense that is on its heels, we see it from time to time, and we know it when it's happening, and sometimes it's comical, like it was when the Bengals did it a week and a half ago against the Chiefs, and Jesse Bates just fell down. He saw a couple of guys coming onto the field, hustling to get into the lineup. The Chiefs coming to the line of scrimmage down at the goal line, and Jesse Bates sees his guys coming. You can see which way he's looking. He sees it. He's like, whoa, this is a problem. Down I go, and I'll grab my hamstring. Yes, that's what I'll do. Oh, he's injured. Oh, we have to stop. Everybody, let's stop. Okay, so we, we know what happens. Chris, when I played in grade school, I have a vivid recollection of a moment like that where two guys on the opposing defense fell down, grabbed their knees, looked at each other, and one of them jumped up. So it's been part of football forever. But the NFL is concerned for one very important reason. It slows down an offense. It affects scoring. Right. It goes to the integrity of the game. Definitely does. If the NFL doesn't do anything about it in an age of legalized gambling, people are going to say, why aren't you doing anything to stop this? So what they're doing is imposing major fines to try to police it and hope that that's enough to get people to stop doing it. I don't know that it'll work, but that's their goal. Even if it doesn't work, they can say we're doing everything we can to try to make it work. Yeah, well, they do need to do that. So I'm glad to see them taking that approach. I feel like we haven't had this. It hasn't been this intense around this conversation since, like, Boomer Esiason and the Bengals in the late 80s, right, when they were doing the no-huddle stuff. And that's what teams started to do. They started to lay down and fake injuries. But I do think it's an integrity of the game issue that the NFL does need to police. One, hey, some teams are built to play fast, no – you know, no huddle. We're going to just and, 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 and just overwhelm you with our plays, our quickness at the line of scrimmage, and, you know, zoom, 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 and throw the ball over the place, and that's what we're going to do. And that's their tactical approach. So, you know, that's where – that's not fair, right? As it's like, you know, oh, we're not going to, you know, stop the clock on running football teams who want to chew up the clock and just stop it because, hey, hey they're trying to chew up the clock. So you're, you are. It's a competitive disadvantage. They need to police that. And then that situation that we just saw with the Bengals there, yeah, that's, it's borderline cheating. It's, the Bengals weren't organized. They were going to have 12 people on the field there because they got two people running on. There's 10 there in the huddle. And they're caught off guard. So the fact that they've messed up a situation and the Chiefs are a well-oiled machine and prepared, wait, we're going to then not let that happen because of that. So uh, I am glad to see the NFL jump in on this a little bit. It's not bit. borderline cheating. It's it cheating. Is cheating. Exactly. It is I cheating. know. I know. Right. Exactly. But I, again, I don't like that. But again, yeah. And hey, the Saints got hit for it as well, although the Saints strenuously object. And when you look at the Saints situation, there are some differences. There that are. happened in the Monday night game. Right. There was a third and 17 play. It was fourth and 10. Cam Jordan looks to the sideline and then goes down. And there's a camera angle that shows his position coach telling him to go down. They hit everybody. 550,000 in total fines. But, look, they never bothered to call the Saints to get their version of it. And, And there was no common sense applied to this. That's the Saints' explanation. He's our best player on defense. Why would we have him be the one to fake the injury if that's what we were doing? He truly does have an injury. He yeah. went to the blue tent. He He's was got limping before that. Sprain. He took an MRI. Right. He was getting treatment last week when they were on their bye week. So it's possible that the NFL swung and missed. But, Chris, I think the point is the NFL is not going to hesitate to swing, even if they lose on appeal. Because no one can ever say they're asleep at the switch for this thing that they may never be able to iron out of the game. We may never, in the heat of the moment, we may never be able 
to police the faking of injuries for strategic gain. So we're going to just whack anyone that we think is doing it. And if Congress or a prosecutor or a, a regulator ever shows up and says, you're failing to do what, what more can we do? We're doing everything we can. We're, we're imposing hundreds of thousand dollars in fines. We're threatening to take away draft picks, and maybe at some point they will. We're threatening suspensions, and maybe at some point they will. But that's where this is going. And I don't know why it's not getting more attention. It should. Uh, and I think the league wants it. That's what's odd, too. I think the league would want its broadcast partners to be talking about it, and hopefully they'll be happy with us for a change, for shining a light on what the NFL is trying to do to eradicate this practice. Yeah, I, I, well, it, it, it's, it's just not good for the sport. I think that's what we're saying overall. It's not good for anybody, really, except for the team that's reeling and in trouble. Now, the point you're bringing up here is the hard part, right? It, it, a play similar, like, I, I do think Cam Jordan was sh- 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 shaken up there. You know, he was trying to get, like, substitute. He was trying to tough it, off, tough it up and just suck it up, I should say, and walk off the field, right, and, and do that, not stop the game that way. But then they're like, oh, wait, they're going no huddle here, and you want to come out, and we, you, you can't move fast enough because your, your hip obviously hurts you there to where now they tell him to go down. You know, so that's going to be the problem. That player who does have an injury, right, and he's trying to get off the field and do that, but now the team realizes, wait, we're you getting off the field and us getting our new guy in, it's not going to happen smoothly, and that's when teams tell guys to go down. Say, hey, just go down so now we can figure out who we're going to put in to replace you there. So that is legitimate, and that's where it's going to be hard to police it, but – I'm like you. I'd rather them see them lean towards the be a little more stricter with this side than than to be lenient with it and have teams kind of cheating to to for for tactical advantages there. It's kind of like tampering. Like it's going to happen all the time, and we're going to whack you if you do it in a way that is completely indiscreet and obvious, like Jesse Bates. Yeah, right. You're going to get whacked for that. There's so much that we can't do. And we're not going to get to the point where we're trying to – a guy who's truly injured has to hustle off the field and make his injury worse because he doesn't want to be accused of faking an injury. So I just think that at the end of the day, it will be in situations where they think it's truly egregious. And there were none this past weekend, even though Eagles fans thought it happened with a Giants defender on a key third and one where it just felt like the Giants were trying to take the steam out of an effort to hurry up. The league decided there was no shenanigans there, but it is something that's very important to the league, and they're going to continue to police it, and we'll see if it makes a difference. All right, here's one that I was stunned by, the fact that it happened and the fact that it wasn't flagged and there wasn't an ejection of Broncos receiver Jerry Judy. He had the trifecta of violations here. He was upset. That's a foul there, ripping off your helmet to confront an official, verbally abusing the official and bumping the official. It should have been three flags. He should have been ejected. I'm surprised he wasn't suspended. Marshawn Lynch was suspended in 2017 for shoving an official. Now, he came off the sideline to enter a fight and do it. Maybe that added to the infraction for him. But at a minimum, he should have been ejected. And I know the league was looking at this saying, why Why was this guy allowed to continue in the game after bumping the official? Why does the official just turn around and look at it like it's no big deal? That, there has to be a bright line for that kind of behavior. You make contact with the official, you're out. I, I, I'm, I, this, these are the moments that I think, 
you know, coaches in football and everybody just goes, I, I don't understand the standards in the league. I don't, I'm, I'm confused. You know, it's, it's, we see, we see one guy hit with the crown of his helmet and knock somebody's head off and not even, you know, get a fine. And we see the other guy the week before hit a guy with the shoulder, not even in the head. He gets kicked out of the game and gets fined. What? I, 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 I mean, I, I'm, this is shocking. I don't even know what to say about this. I, I really don't. I mean, I, I, and I feel like it's like a hundred out of a hundred times when we've seen that happen that you at least get fined, you know, and suspension yes. is a real thing. Well, he will get fined. Right. He'll get fined. Suspension. Get fined I'm shocked. Significant amount of money. Right. Okay. I'm shocked the suspension, and I'm thro- shocked there was no flag thrown there or an ejection. All of it. I, I really am. The I, ejection, I the it. flag should have been immediate. Right. Should have been instant. Not even a thought. It's amazing to me, and it's for the the protection of the officials. The rule is there to protect them against the guy blowing a gasket. There's a bright line. It's like the Pope mobile. Like you shall not touch this individual. You there's basically glass around them. Do not go touch them. And when you do, the consequence is immediate and it's swift and you're in the showers. I, I'm amazed it didn't happen. I'm, I'm amazed the league office now, again, there's, there's three games going on at that time, but who really cares about Chiefs-Broncos? It was flexed out of Sunday night. Maybe they weren't paying attention. But I'm amazed the league office didn't call uh, into the earpiece of the referee of that game and say, hey, whoa, 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 number 10 is not coming back today. He made contact with an official. I'm yeah. shocked. It, right, it, one more before we If take it was a the break. standalone game, that's where it always makes me think too. Like if it was a big game or the the marquee 425 game, what would have happened then? And that's the the big question. If that game hadn't been flexed out of Sunday night, if that had happened on NBC with everyone watching, even if a flag wasn't thrown, somebody would have said to the referee immediately, "Number ten must be ejected. Do it now." Do it now. Do it now. All right. Um, one thing that, that it's not going to make me feel any better. I, it was one of the fun plays of the week, unless you were hoping for the Vikings to get their T-shirts and their hats on Sunday in Detroit. Big time Third play, and seven. Game still in the balance. Vikings a couple of timeouts. Two minutes to go. Penny Sewell in what motion. A call. And w- watch when we replay this, the downfield blocking that was going on. Five yards downfield, Patrick Peterson's getting blocked to keep from flaring out and covering Penny Sewell. See it? See it? I, Look how far downfield the blocking is, Chris. I, uh, I you know. got a one-yard buffer. That's it. I, I know, but see, I, I don't think that's blocking, Mike. I, I think that's Patrick Peterson trying to jam a receiver. That, that's, that's the only thing I would say. I think he's... Put you know this guy trying to take in. I say it's blocking. It makes release. me feel better by saying it's blocking. <laughs> I say it's blocking. It makes I, me feel better. I don't. I don't think it is. I think it's Peterson in a spot that's you know he's 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 disrupting the release. He looks like he initiates the contact. So you know again, this is a rule that to I, your to your point, it doesn't get called enough. They've been better as of late, uh, but I don't know if I'll go with this one. Where I do want to say is, man, that was a big time call by Dan Campbell. That really was. That and the fake punt uh, early on in the football game that ended up in a, a touchdown for the Lions. I mean, he's made some calls and some moments here and some things that have helped them win and get them over the hump. And, yeah, beat the Vikings. Ooh, way to go, Lions. But let, but let, me, let me add this rest of the story, though. Yeah. Because Campbell doing very little to uh, avoid his reputation for – 
being a little bit of a meathead. Sure. He was on with McAfee yesterday, and he said he didn't even know they made the call. He said he was watching the fans doing the wave, and he looks up. He's like, what the hell did we just call? So he didn't even know. Uh, well, Isn't that weird well, that is, the head coach wouldn't know what the play is in that moment? It, it, it is a little weird, yes. It, it definitely is, yes. But he's, he's obviously at a point where, hey, he, he trusts the guy calling the plays, which he should. Because Ben Johnson is shown to be really one of the more creative offensive coordinators in football, and I think one of those guys we're going to put on the short list of head coaching candidates after the year's over. Well, and that's all the more reason for Campbell to not <laughs> kind of inadvertently boost the guy by making it clear he's delegated the whole offense to him to the point where he doesn't know what, even know what play's being called. He's going to have to find a new offensive coordinator next year if he keeps uh, creating that impression. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Power rankings as we enter week 15. We know who's on top, but Chris has been a shakeup at number two. A team that won still fell out of the number two spot. Well, Show you who it is next here on PFT Live. Lawrence bends the hands, catches a high snap from the pocket, throws for the end zone. Nice. Chase has it. Touchdown! Nice. Bengals as Chase does the gritty. Emotion is soon. Golf to go. Wants to throw it to Sewell. Oh, he caught it. Boy, Sewell is first down. Oh, big man. Oh, that is beautiful. Third and two at their own 44. The home's being pressured. Moves to his right. They're coming from behind him. Now flings it. Slings it to McKinnon at the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 10. To the 5. Touchdown. Batman loves this stadium. Hump Day Homers as we pivot to the PFT Power Rankings presented by Google Pixel. The Chiefs come in at number four, although as the season gets closer and closer to the end, I'm starting to feel like the Chiefs are going to end up with their fingerprints all over the Lombardi Trophy. I don't know why I have that feeling, uh, apart from the fact they're pretty damn good. But, Chris, on that <laughs> yeah. throw, that McKinnon throw, we, we were watching the games, and, right. and you, you saw it happen live, uh, and you were like, oh, my God, they did it again. <laughs> I the more I watched that, I tweeted this last night. Right. The more I watched that play, I think if McKinnon was a little bit more to the inside, Mahomes would have flipped it behind his back to him. I, 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 listen, I don't put anything out of the 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 imagination of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I, we've never seen anybody like him in the sport. I mean, this play right here is so special. He tucks it away. He gives a stiff arm. He's going to try to run for the first, and then he realizes, wait, the guy that was covering McKinnon, I can't run anymore, and I don't have the ball in a throwing position. And he basically throws, like, a high-stepping, no-look, underhand, like, I'm Magic Johnson on the fast break with Worthy and Scott and just flip it over to the guy so he can go dunk it. Like, it's just – we've never seen anybody do the things he's done with the football. Mike, I mean, you take – he's got three plays this year that I would go – they're all-time, like, greatest highlights you've ever seen, and he's made three of them this year. There's the play against the Chargers in week two, right, where he weaved it through, and I don't even know what he did with the ball. He, like, threw it this way and threw a spiral. He had the Whirly Bird 360 alley-oop from half court against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? And then that play right there, I just go – 
I mean, th- that's those are all-time highlights that you like play in a reel at the Hall of Fame and go, look at this play that happened this year, and he's done it three times. It's it's fun. It's amazing. It's am- I've never seen anything like him. He's amazing. He's morphed from baseball player on the football field into basketball player on the football field. I <laughs> right. think back to the touchdown run against the Bengals where it's like the posterization of the guy going yeah, in. Yeah, sure. For the jump dunk. man. So, he, did, he did Jordan jump man there. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing, and, and, and I'm still amazed you have them as fourth. I I would have them in front of the Cowboys. That's all I would say. But but I, I I'm not well, mad at well, you. But I dropped the Cowboys. One that look, yeah. the, the Chiefs let the Broncos. Yes, they did. Who are installed at number 31 on the power rankings back into a game that the Chiefs had won. So that's what stopped me from letting. The Chiefs jumped the Cowboys. The Cowboys fell from two to three, and I, I, I can't say I never do that because I just did it. I usually don't do it. 99 out of 100 times, I don't do it. If you win, you hold your spot. But the Cowboys, and I don't buy this stuff from Dak Prescott. Oh, it was good for us to, to be in a tough game instead of blowing somebody out. You're in a tough game with a crap team. I don't think that's good for anybody. And, uh, yeah, they won. Okay, good. It wasn't a complete and total embarrassment, but it was still an embarrassment for the Cowboys. Don't, don't tell me this is going to help you when you're in a tough game with the 49ers because they're the 49ers, not the Texans. You're not going to win that game close. If you're down three and you've got to run the length of the field, you're not going to do it against the 49ers just because you said, well, we did it against the Texans. Right. We no, agreed. We agreed. can do it. Yeah. So, so uh, the Bills had the more impressive win. The Bills bump up the number two. And I'll take an Eagles-Bills Super Bowl if that's what it is, although I sure. still think it's going to be the Chiefs. Yeah, well, I, I could see a combination of really any of uh, To me, it's a combination of your top six teams. If you made me bet right now, I'd go, the, the, the teams that are in the top six, it's one combination of that somehow, some way. That, And I think we are at a point that those are clearly, to me, the three best teams in the NFC and the three best teams in the AFC that you got in your top six. And I could see any combination there, and I could see every one of them being a pretty good Super Bowl. So I think that's that's the positive thing uh, that hopefully we won't be cheated out of. But you know, I, I hear you, and the Cowboys, you know, yeah, that was um, that was underwhelming. Uh, again, I'm not like totally concerned uh, because they made some stupid mistakes, but the, the, that's the problem a little as of late. You know, the last five games, I mean, Dak Prescott's thrown seven, seven interceptions. And in one of those games, the Viking game, he threw no interceptions. He's been off. You know, even when I watch, and I've, I've watched them on film almost every week where, you know, even there's completions where the ball's off target and you go, oh, man, the guy fell down. He should be still running. So he's not playing his best football right now. Now, he was awesome in the last drive, and he was clutch as could be and made some great throws. But they were in the position they were in because – he made some bad mistakes and missed some throws, and uh, yeah, he's Dak is Dak's got to play a, a little bit better. He has not been real, real sharp as of late. If we could put that graphic back up, I have a question for Chris because I agree with you, and I didn't think of it this way when I put the list together. But the top six are the best; those are the ones that it's going to be two of those teams, obviously. It can't be any two. It's got to be one from the AFC and one from the NFC. But we've got three from each conference represented in the top six. Give me the one team from the next 12 that you would regard as most likely to disrupt the possibility of two of those six teams getting to the Super Bowl. Okay. I I think the – 
I, I look at the Dolphins as still being capable of being that team. I do. Uh, just because, again, they're the weapons, the offense, the defense puts a ma- a, 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 a immense pressure on you to where, hey, you make a mistake or they get a strip sack fumble or you know Tyreek breaks a big screen. They, they can upset anybody. So I think that would be the team I would look at first, Mike. Who, how about you? Who do, who do you look at? I look at the team that's in at number 12, and I'm not just I, I hear you that. I hear you. I, I, my, my brain went there. They're getting Chase Young back. Mm-hmm. They're getting Chase Young back this week. Um, they're they're going to be, I think, a playoff team, and they're going to be not easy to beat in January. And they're coached by a guy who has taken a team to a Super Bowl with an MVP quarterback. He's doing it now with a guy that, you know, as you've said, like he wins games, but my God, how many opportunities does the other team have to intercept one of his passes? How many right, throws right. does he miss? But he's still winning games. They've got a quality to them. It feels translatable into January, unlike yeah. the Vikings. The Vikings have that quality, too, but it feels like the Commanders, mainly because they have the defense, that they can make it happen in January and surprise a team or two on the road. We saw them go into Philadelphia and win, and that's why I believe that the Commanders could could score a big upset or two in the postseason and uh, uh, maybe maybe force their way. And, yeah. oh God, it's, wouldn't it be crazy to think of the Commanders as a Super Bowl team after all the stuff that – that they've dealt with, inflicted by ownership on the organization to fight through those distractions and actually be a viable contender. But of those twelve teams, that's the first one that I would pick. I, I, I they, they definitely. You know, I, I'll go with the Dolphins one. I understand your Commanders thought. The Ravens are, you know, your team at number seven. There, uh, to me, again, if Lamar is healthy and their O line is healthy, and they have the two backs, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, like they do last week. I do think that, you know, like they show, I never thought they Pittsburgh with that crew not having to worry about the pass game. All they had to worry about the run game, and they couldn't even stop it. They still got gashed. The, I I do think when the Ravens are healthy, their run game can be a force that can maybe upset that formula a little bit too. And the other team that would scare me just a little, you know, you you've mentioned the right teams. It's just the Chargers. The Chargers, if they got healthy and Joey Bosa back. Right, and it sounds like maybe they think Rashawn Slater could be back, and their O line could get there with that quarterback and a few of the playmakers they have. Uh, they could be a team that, you know, if they snuck in and, and they were all, 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 you know, healthy, I would go, "Oh man, we got to see Justin Herbert and company come into town." That's scary. And, you know, I look at the Lions as well. I just don't think they're going to get in. I think that one and six start is what dooms them. And I got mm. Lions fans all pissed off. They're not higher than they should be. They started one and six. They're in the process of making a climb out of a hole into which they dug themselves. So right now they're very good, very good, and they could get in. And I would be nervous about facing them in the playoffs if I'm any of the NFC teams. I just don't think they're going to get in. I think it's too much work to do down the stretch. But we shall see. When we return, we'll take a look at some of the best catches from the week that was in the NFL. We'll do that next here on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Thoughts change at all about when to do this long term? No, 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 I'm not wavering, man. I, I've loved it. Like I said, I've had a great time. I know I'm the most popular guy in the room right now, right? I mean, this has been this has been fantastic. I've, it's it's crazy for me because I've went from being in the media to not paying any attention. 
purposefully, right? Because I know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure not everything written about us or me is is positive. I'm, I'm good with that. I knew kind of what I was signing up for, but um, I've, I've loved this. I've, I've had a great time. I love the unity in the locker room. I love the staff and working with guys and the and the strategy goes in with this. Um, and so, you know, again, this has been this has been a lot of fun. Uh, again, W's make things a lot more fun, but that's what we got to get to. Yeah, very astute observation by Jeff Saturday. When you lose 54 to 19 in prime time, there are going to be some negative things written about you and your team. That's for sure. And there has been plenty of questions about whether or not he deserved the opportunity to be the interim coach, to audition for half of a season to become the full-time permanent head coach. And Chris, I think Jim Mercy is going to hire him. I think it's a done deal. I really do, unless he decides he's going to spend a crap load of money to go get Sean Payton, try to pair him up with Tom Brady or something really over the top, outside the box like that. I think he hired Saturday when he did because he wants to lay the foundation and make Saturday the coach next year. And, and you know, he will have taken all the heat during the season, and it will seem less shocking when Saturday gets the job after the season. All right, it feels like that. I mean, it does. It, it feels like we're headed in that direction. And again, it hasn't been bad. Yeah, I mean, it's one and three. I get that, but it's toe to toe with. It could have beaten the Eagles. Yeah, toe to toe with the Eagles. That's right. Really had a chance to beat the Steelers. The game was very even, you know, throughout. And then, you know, even the Cowboys game. I know they got blown out. And and again, I I, I mean, hey, they they lost by a lot. I get it, but it, you know, it, it wasn't. I don't think that score was in you know true story of the game. It was twenty one to nineteen with eleven minutes left. And yeah, right. they made some mistakes and then all of a sudden they were down and then now you got desperate and you try to wait, we got to push the envelope to try to come back and then another mistake happens. And so, I mean, from all due accounts, it, it hasn't looked bad. It certainly hasn't looked maybe what we expected with a guy as a first time head coach. That's for sure. After his first game, the win over the Raiders, it looked like, hey, maybe Jeff Saturday will be coach of the year. If he could turn <laughs> it around and get the team to the playoffs, he would have been a real candidate. We're going to draft the current coach of the year candidates, the guys most likely to win. Bet MGM has the odds as they currently stand. No surprise, Nick Sirianni, the overwhelming favorite. A little surprise to see Dan Campbell as high as he is. It's interesting that two guys out of the six. Right. It two, well, it's interesting to see two guys out of the playoffs right now and Campbell and Sala being number two and three. In the in the uh, the award the coach of the year you know award there I, I am a little surprised by that that's, that's kind of rare. All right, go ahead and make your first pick. Who do you got? Um, I'm just gonna take the guy at the top of the list. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm gonna go with Nick Sirianni. Again, it's it's I know we thought they would be good, but to deliver on the expectations and then some, I think you deserve some credit too. And we've all talked about, you know, there's no great team in the NFL this year. There is. The Eagles are great. They, they're great. It's, there's no weakness to their team. And then I think when you add on the fact of, you know, they're running an offense that he and Shane Steichen, they have no history in. They, they started this offense because they went, wait, our quarterback, he's got a different skill set. And he's not the type that's going to be like drop back 40 times a game and pick you apart. So let's invent something new. And he deserves some credit for that, too. So Sirianni's the obvious choice to, to be number one there. And look, the reality is coach of the year is the guy who most impressively exceeds 
Yeah. The loose expectations for his team going into the year, which is why Bill Belichick never wins it unless he goes right. undefeated like he did in 2007. We expect him to be good. Andy Reid, we expect him to be good. Sean McDermott, we expect the Bills to be the number one seed in the AFC. So how's he going to exceed expectations? So that's why Sirianni is currently the favorite. First one for me, against that backdrop, and I'm looking at it from the standpoint of who I think will win it. Not who the best coach has been this year, but who will win it. And I love plus 4,000 odds for Kyle Shanahan. I mean, you go from Trey Lance to Jimmy G to Brock Purdy. Joe Gibbs won Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks over a period of a decade. This guy may win a Super Bowl going through three quarterbacks in one year, Chris. I, I, and I, he never gets any credit. I, I'm glad, I didn't think – I'm mad you took him. I didn't think you would take him. I, I did not. I was going to take him next. I don't, I don't understand. He's not even in the conversation sometimes. You don't even hear it. And you're like, wait, he's the GM and built the team. He has final say and picks these guys and – then, yes, the quarterback situation, which, hey, you you know, hey, you can surely some of it to blame on him. But the facts are this year that they've lost two starters and they're on a third stringer, like you said. And we're sitting here going, hey, we're their third stringer. Uh, they, you know, what's a good matchup that could, they could be in, in the Super Bowl? Uh, I think it says it all, Mike, to your point. <laughs> so uh, you're right. I yeah. don't I don't understand that. And I think we could argue that. You know, in a lot of ways, he might have got screwed over a few years ago when when John Harbaugh nudged him out, and and they were the number one seed in uh, the year they went to the Super Bowl. So uh, I'm glad you threw him in there. He he certainly was one that jumped out to me. Um, I think the next one you know, I, you go with here is I, I think Mike McDaniel is probably the next one I'll take here. It's a close one. There's another guy here on the list that I, I went back and forth with, but. Uh, I think Mike McDaniel, you said it right. It's the exceeding of expectations. And then a quarterback that we all had questions about, you know, making him look like a viable NFL starting quarterback. And then the offense just exploding onto the scene. I, mean, I don't think anybody saw that. I thought we all thought, ooh, they have the chance to be dangerous. But, I mean, they are the most dangerous offense in football. And it, Tua gets back on track. We'll see that. But but uh, I think Mac McDaniel would be a guy that's towards the top of the list for me. Can we put the graphic back up? I'm curious where the odds are for the one I'm about to pick next because he is not a favorite. I think he's a guy who very well could win it. He's not even on this board. That's Ron Rivera, the commander's coach. Mm -hmm. We talked last segment about how they could end up, or two segments ago, I really can't remember, about how they could end up disrupting this presumptive Cowboys or Eagles or 49ers NFC representative in the Super Bowl. And if they get in as they would be the sixth seed most likely, I, I think we need to take it very seriously. When you consider all of the crap that that team's had to deal with. I hear you. We've heard players right. say, man, we got to deal with a lot of crap, all coming from ownership, all coming from the top of the organization, all the ways they've shot themselves in the foot in the past. They continue to do so to this day. And Rivera is the one beacon who is leading the football team through this 500 yards of foulest smelling, you know what? I think he deserves consideration and uh, uh, hopefully he'll get. He's won it twice before. Hopefully he'll get fair consideration this time. All right, let's take a break. We'll do third round of the Coach of the Year draft when PFT Live concludes right after this. There are the selections so far. One round to go. Coach of the Year. 
for 2022. Chris, who do you have in round three? It really is interesting in the fact that I feel like we have like candidates here where they're worthy of winning it, even though they might not go to the playoffs. Uh, I, 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 it is odd. It's it, We don't have a lot of years like that. I mean, Dayball, Dan Campbell, Robert Sala, they all ex- far exceeded expectations. Uh, but the guy I'm going to go with is, you know, Kevin O'Connell for your Vikings. Yeah, I got to pick him. I mean, we didn't see this. I mean, we'll see how it goes. I, I don't expect a deep run in the playoffs, but still the fact that they have found late game magic and won some of these games where you feel like they've been outplayed, I think is something to do with his positive vibe he's put on the organization, the confidence and cockiness maybe he's instilled in the football team to degree to think we're going to get it done. Uh, so uh, Kevin O'Connell will be my last choice. Yeah, and look, they're 10-3 and three right now. They're probably going to finish 12-5. and five. I could see them win the next two, lose the next two, or, or just win a combination of two of the next four. So 12-5 and five, after everything that team's gone through and how he's turned the vibe around and, and really embraced the players, even though the defense is horrible, it may be enough to get him some consideration. Last one for me, and this is a guy who talk about working through distractions and constantly having an arm tied behind your back and not having your starting quarterback for five or six weeks and making it work, Mike McCarthy. Why is he not getting? Do we have the graphic? Where is he on there? He should be higher on the list. And maybe there's value there for anyone out there inclined to bet on uh, Coach of the Year. But McCarthy's done really well this year. He, he entered has. the season. He's plus 2,200. There he is, 22 to 1. He entered the season on the hot seat. Oh, it's just a matter of time before Jerry Jones finally hires Sean Payton. He's wanted to hire him for years. He almost hired him early 2019. Uh, and uh, it, it's, just, it's just a matter of time before it happens now. Well, that talk ended pretty quickly, and I think McCarthy's going to stick around. He's done well. He's going to be the five seed, uh, which is nothing to, uh, to sneeze at. And they still have a chance, in theory, to catch the Eagles, and they have them on Christmas Eve in Dallas. That should be a hell of a game, Chris. Yeah, no. Maybe they can still, maybe they can still win that division. If they win that division and end up the one seed, McCarthy is the coach of the year. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's, they're going to be a strong five seed. We know that. And – you know, he's managed game situations. They haven't had as many penalties this year. Those have all been positives for sure in Dallas. We are out of time. Thanks, as always, for see spending ya. some time with us. We'll see you back here Thursday.